That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, here we are back hosting our podcast after we spent a few glorious days in New York City at the 12th Annual Mockingbird Conference. I have almost recovered. Uh, how about you? Um, uh, yeah, I've almost recovered myself, uh, feeling good. Um, it was a great conference and a great time. A-plus to everybody who was there, A-plus to everybody who wasn't. Aaron, other than that, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm okay. Uh, rainy day in Texas, uh, <sighs> but that's all right. You know, in about five minutes, it'll be a thousand degrees here, so we'll take we'll mm. take a cold, wet day when we can get it. Uh, yeah. I got to say, I, uh, I gained a lot of weight in New York. I was eating pizza like it was going out of style. I was... Carbo-loading, but with no race in sight. How much did you gain? Just out of I, ga- I gained about three pounds. That's amazing. Oh, it's all water. All water retention. I think that's, you I think that's right. But that's what my congregation anyway. said to me on Sunday. They're like, wow, you really, you're looking bloated, Father that's, Z. I've, I've been a little swollen for about three months now. So anyway, but um, it's good. Uh, and we are here, and we are moving through the Easter season. We're on the seventh Sunday of Easter. However, a very important day occurs between the sixth Sunday of Easter and the seventh Sunday of Easter, and that is 40 days after the resurrection. What happens there, Aaron? May Day. We all get around the Maypole, and we make a big <laughs> braid, and we have flowers. There actually is this movie coming out uh, this summer called... Uh, Somer or something like that, or it's about um, it's about a Mayday pull. It's by the same guy who did uh, Hereditary, and it just looks absolutely terrifying. But, yeah, I don't want to uh, see that's that. That's not what we're celebrating at all. It's, it is funny how people think Maypoles are this just nice symbol of spring. I'm like, you no. have you read your Old Testament? <laughs> this is a pagan, super Asheville pagan. Pole. That's right, but that's fine. It's cute though, as long as we have yeah. kids it's in inclusive. pastel colors. It's that's inclusive. Right. That's right. Anyways, so. okay. Off enough of that. Um, yeah, so the day that you're referring to, Jake, is the Feast of the Ascension, which is Jesus bodily ascending into heaven after his resurrection. And it um, happens right before the seventh Sunday of Easter uh, this year. And so some churches will choose, like Calvary St. George's, to have an actual service on Ascension Day, the 30th of May. Some people will bring those readings into the next Sunday, June 2nd, uh, which is Per, which is permitted by the prayer book, I just have to mm-hmm. say. Um, it's and, very yeah. permitted. And so, but and you know what's very powerful about that is that it actually affords you an opportunity to craft together a sermon series because you have Ascension Day and then you have Pentecost and then you have Trinity Sunday. And, uh, you know, if you're thinking about a sermon series, you could preach on these um, three very important doctrines. Uh, We did that a number of years back called Doctrines That Unify, where we focused on the Ascension, the uh, Holy Spirit, and then the Trinity. And um, and so, um, but Ascension's a very important day. Yeah, and it's um, something that I think 
if you're in a liturgical tradition like the Episcopal Church, you're aware of it because you say the creed and you say, you know, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he uh, was buried, he rose uh, um, on the third day according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. So we maybe are used to saying that we believe in ascension. Uh, a lot of parts of the church, if they're not saying the creed or not a liturgically oriented church, may not even really think about it. The, the main thing is that Jesus died for your sins. Also, P.S., he rose from the dead, both great, and that and nobody ever really thinks about the ascension. But we want to affirm it and say that it's really important. It's a huge deal, actually. It has a huge implication for how you live your Christian life because the crazy, amazing thing about the ascension is that we believe that human flesh is at the right hand of the Father uh, in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean, Jake? I mean, that's an, that's an amazing thing. It's sort of a mind-blowing thing. But what does that mean for you in your siren-filled den of iniquity known as your office next to Gramercy Park in New York City? Yeah, once again, the end of the world is happening, uh, the last days. Um, but actually, ascension marks the beginning of the last days. You'll hear oftentimes people talking about the last days as if they're somewhere else, somewhere far off, or maybe even finally right now. But the truth is, is that since Jesus ascended into heaven, that was the marking and the beginning of the last days. And he ascended somewhere very specific. He just didn't float off into space or, you know, um, but he went to uh, the right hand of the Father. And so what this says is that at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf is not an orb, not a phantom, but flesh and blood interceding for you. And so there Jesus is, um, flesh and blood has been glorified. And um, if flesh and blood has been, if his flesh and blood has been glorified, your flesh and blood will be glorified as well. Yeah, and that I think is a really helpful correction to all the body shaming or just body ignorance and just not having a real good theology of the body or a theology of the creation. Christians thinking that creative stuff doesn't matter. Uh, Christians thinking that, um, I don't know, just having a sort of shameful idea of the body or just not liking the body and all that sort of stuff. To, to say that Jesus' body, physical human body, from his mitochondria to his cuticles to uh, that little weird space at the corner of your eye where your two eyelids meet and it's sort of like regular skin but also squishy skin, like all that stuff. I, You guys, I got Jacob to laugh. He's like cracking up on the screen I'm staring at. <laughs> Finally, yeah. So all, but all that stuff is 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 up in heaven, and it's a it's sort of a crazy thing because we think of heaven as this place, as you said, of like floating orbs and smoke machines and maybe a few lasers here and there. But yeah. we think of heaven as this very disembodied, ethereal place. But if Jesus is up there with his body, with the scars that he bears, that he ascends visibly into heaven physically, he doesn't just vanish. He doesn't do any of that stuff. That means that we should see our bodies not as something that like we can't wait to shed, but something that will be redeemed and something we can enjoy now. And it it has a whole host of implications for what does worship look like? It's something we do in our bodies. What does life look like? It's something we do in our bodies. How do we worship God with our whole? So mowing the lawn, changing a diaper, uh, eating a dinner with friends, all these things. If you have a robust doctrine of creation and a robust view of the body as something made by God from this whole ascension thing, it mean it changes how you how you live. I think so. And would you agree, Jake? Absolutely. I mean, I think that what ascension reminds us is that it's not about escaping creation. 
um, but about God uh, redeeming and renewing creation. And, uh, and that has implications for everything because Jesus is the first fruits of uh, this new creation that is being ushered in and uh, of which he is the head and we as his body will surely and shortly follow. Yep. And by the way, I'm glad your body will be uh, raised because I'm looking at you right now and it looks pretty good. Well, I'm a little swollen, as You're I said You're all cleaned earlier, up and everything, wearing your collar. <laughs> I'm, I'm unsure. I've got a haircut. Right I've got a haircut. Looking good. So, By the way, um, one more thing I want to yeah. say. There's another extra day, if you're into this sort of thing, on May 31st, the day after Ascension Day, is the Visitation of the Blessed Virgin, which doesn't mean that Mary went and visited somebody on that day. That means Mary got visited by the angel Gabriel to announce to her that she would be carrying the Christ child. So what's cool about that is May 31st, it's about you know nine months before Christmas. It's a little pre-pre-pre-Advent. It's a little indication, even now as we're heading into the summer season, as we've just finished the Easter season, God is always working behind the scenes, just like back in the day in uh, when Mary was just kind of hanging out in Nazareth, and everybody thought the world was normal, status quo, nothing would ever change. Uh, the proud and mighty were high up on their thrones, the lowly were low and would stay there forever. God was working on the flip-flop gospel and bringing that into the earth. So you never know what God is doing in your life, even as dark as it may seem and as hopeless mm. as it may seem. And that's the message of the Visitation of the Blessed Virgin, which... Um, which is on May 31st. So if you're an Anglo-Catholic parish or just a crazy non-denominational parish, they can do whatever the heck you want. You could talk about May 31st, the visitation of the Blessed Virgin. It's wonderful. And uh, and this brings us to um, the, the seventh Sunday of Easter. <laughs> what we're actually here many, to talk about. Which many of you uh, are begging us to get to because you need a <laughs> nugget. So, and uh, and that's what we're going to give you. A delicious, and delicious so, sermon hook, like a Katy a Perry chorus. Hook. So, yeah, absolutely. Or um, Flow Rider. So, but uh, um, Flow <laughs> Rider. We're like, we're like the Flow Rider of lectionary podcasts. It's, it's like Flow Rider. You know, you're adding an R to the end of that word, and it's not there. It's Flow Rider. So Jake. You're so white. It's but anyway, like Revelation. Um, the, the, <laughs> Don't put the S on the end. But, you know, the first couple of times you listen to Flow Rider, you're like, ah, I don't know. And then you, the more you listen to him, you're like, well, it's all right. And so yeah, here we are. That's <laughs> so, right. That's um, right. Today's podcast brought to you by Flow Rider and Sia. Okay. Um, <laughs> moving on to the seventh so, Sunday Acts of Easter. Acts chapter 16. We kick off with Acts chapter 16 because that's what we've been doing. And once again, you know, if you're thinking about this in three years, this is another place you could do a sermon series on Acts. You could do um, a sermon series on the book of Revelation. I mean, God knows people need good teaching on the book of Revelation. And um, and so, but the book of Acts, we see uh, Paul and Silas, and they are in the heart of the pagan world. Um, they are in Philippi in Macedonia, which is a Roman colony, it lets us know. And, you know, this is very important. These guys are writing this not so that it's like some sort of theory. They are telling you history. They are laying out locations and places that these guys are journeying, but we see that now the gospel is coming to the ends of the earth here. And while they are preaching, uh, Paul and Silas are um, Paul and Silas encounter a crazy woman, a woman possessed with a demon. Yeah, and by the way, when Philippi is named for Philip, the father of Alexander the Great, Macedonia is mm. what we would call Greece. And uh, but what I whenever I if I were to preach on something like this, I always change the names of the places because you said Philippi of Macedonia and your entire congregation fell asleep and they were like, oh, Bible lands, boring. 
But not mine. Not mine, because no, <laughs> your congregation's way more sanctified than our Wacoans. And really smart. Yeah. Hashtag Calvary St. George's. That's right. So, but anyway. Uh, Jesus for intellectuals. Uh, the, uh, the Philippi, I would say something like, you know, we came to Reno in Nevada or something like that. You know, try to make it so that it sounds like an actual place, not a fairy tale end. But yeah, so they meet this woman that's got a spirit of divination. And she's, I think, important to know, she's exploited because of her powers. She has owners. Uh, and they make her tell people's fortunes, and then they collect the the money. And she's following Paul. It's a fascinating story because she is crying out, kind of she's evangelizing for them. Hey, everybody, get saved. Like, this is the mm-hmm. thing we saw in Jesus' ministry. The demons all knew who Jesus was. And, yeah. um, and so— But she's doing it in a mocking way almost in the sense of because there are many gods— here probably in Philippi in Macedonia. And, uh, and so what she is doing is, is, I mean, she's almost mocking it. You know what I mean? Who proclaimed you a way, a, and that's the key, a way of salvation. Yeah. And, uh, and she's yeah. on this 24 seven. And she, and so Paul gets annoyed and casts this demon out of her and the demon works. I think it's interesting here that the, the miracle happens not in the way that we would do it. If we were having an exorcism or something, or even just a regular old prayer service, we'd probably light some candles and sing some songs and get really spiritual. Because uh, we think candles mean spiritual. You know, you see these churches mm-hmm. with uh, you reclaimed pallet wood backdrops and Edison filament light bulbs because old things look more authentic. This whole search for authenticity, I think, is behind all that stuff, and I have feelings about it. But they also always put candles there, lots and lots of candles. Sometimes the ones you get at Target that look like real candles, but they're not, so you don't violate the fire codes. But people think candles means Jesus. And uh, But look at Paul. He's just, he gets annoyed, he gets kind of hacked off, and he's just, get out. And it works. Mm. It's not In the name it, of Jesus, get out of her, Je- yeah. Yeah, Jesus isn't always into our whole <laughs> spiritual, whatever we think we need, candles and crystals or whatever. Anyway, so it works. And this results so in the, the, oh yeah you say thing, more about that the, the, well the thing right here is so powerful is is that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ that's right and uh, and uh, you know in this and what what is being demonstrated here is the authority of the name of Jesus over everything um, on the earth and under the earth you know mm-hmm. what I mean and so it is uh, it is a uh, when they when he is saying this he is saying this with a command and authority. It's not just kind of in the name of any old, uh, you know, any old guy. It's not in the name of Jesus, our example. Uh, when Paul uh, says this, it is uh, comes with all of the authority of heaven. That's right. And uh, it comes out within the very hour. And uh, and this oppressive spirit. I mean, this is this is an oppression of this woman. Uh, this woman is bound by this. Um, and not to poke fun at the former presiding bishop, but talk about a complete horrible exegesis by Catherine Jefford Shorey about this. And uh, But we see here that um, this is actually, she's being actually exploited. And uh, you want to talk about social justice and you want to talk about um, social justice um, uh, from the church always comes forth from the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's never the the activity and then we'll get to Jesus later. The root of all of our work for justice in this world, and this is a liberating work right here, comes in the name of Jesus. 
That's right. And there's an interesting article that came out a few weeks ago about that, how there's kind of a movement that the the, the mainline denominations don't really know how to handle because it used to be that the, the previous generations, the sort of, quote, people who were down with liberal, quote unquote, theology, believed in social justice but didn't have much time for what we would call, quote unquote, spiritual beliefs, you know, miracles, and saw the New Testament as, as myths, nice stories, Jesus as an example, and it sort of ran out of steam. What's interesting is the current generation in all the mainline churches uh, seem to have this faith in the resurrected Jesus and in his name mm-hmm. see a real calling to serve the least and the lost, which is exactly what it happens here. And that's why this is not just... Um, That'd be you amazing know. if we could put that article up in the show notes or something. I like wish we that. had show notes. By the way, and uh, folks who have no idea who Catherine Jefford Shorey is, that was Insider Baseball. Uh, Never mind. Don't worry don't, about it. It's like it's like Philip I. It's like four Macedonia. years. It's so, old news. Anyway. Old news. I know. Sorry. It's but, okay. Um, the, we can edit that out. But anyway, <laughs> uh, just kidding. Uh, but so, but you see what happens when, in the name of Jesus, people are liberated. You know, in the name you go of to jail. Jesus, when. When people are liberated, man, you are going to turn heads and yep. uh, you go to jail for legitimate reasons. Um, but it's uh, you're not calling uh, you're not calling and asking for bail money and uh, asking the dice to set up bail money. Uh, you're going to jail and you're going to stick there and you're going to sing songs because you're making a witness right now. And this is what Paul and Silas are doing. Yep. Oh, by the way, one thing that, uh, you know, we did talk about um exorcism because it happens in this passage and that is a thing you and i know jake if we have if we encounter a need for that in our ministry you and i we call the bishop and there's a process for dealing with that if that's Mm -hmm. something if you're a pastor and you're listening to this and you got something going on in your church i encourage you to um not do what those guys do in the book of acts where they don't really know what they're doing and they start casting out demons the seven sons of Sceva, and uh the demons come out and beat them and in one of the greatest verses in the bible <laughs> my favorite says yeah. they ran from the house naked and bleeding and so um there was a christian i know i love what sons the demons say to him too they're like i i know paul and i, and know, I know jesus, jesus but i don't know but you i don't know you so, <laughs> i'm not so familiar good. Yeah, and so uh, it's not something to be taken lightly if you have uh, something like this. And so if you're not in a structure that has bishops and sort of the the wider church to kind of help you, I encourage you to to call Jake and uh, or find somebody, uh, maybe a, a bishop type person who can walk you through this, and help you think through it. Um, seriously, call um, me or Jake, we'll help you out. So they are. <laughs> thanks, Aaron. Yeah, the no problem. But anyway, My, um, Jake's so. number is five 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 five. Five five so, five five. So there they are, and they are um they're in jail. The crowd joins in attacking them. I mean, these guys get get the crud kicked out of them. I mean, they're ordered to be beaten with rods, and after they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Um, the same way uh the tomb is kept securely here. So they are thrown in. I mean, this is this is once again Armageddon's happening outside my office, but uh there is um there is, they are locked and they are in there secure. And so, and there they are with their beaten backs and they're singing hymns to God. And uh, and then all of a sudden an earthquake happens. Shaken and the doors are flung open and their chains are gone. They've Ooh. been set free. So, and... Uh, <laughs> We got to keep going, man. Okay. So it's a thirty-minute show. So anyway, um, the the jailer wakes up and he rushes in, and uh, he's about to kill himself because 
hey, it's better for me to kill and uh, myself than be turned over to what might happen to me. And uh, Paul and Silas stop him and they like lay it out. And this is what we're here to do. Sir, what must I do to be saved? And they answered, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to them. Yeah, And, and uh, all their house were, were saved. And what's awesome, too, is that when they say, what must I do to be saved? I think there are certain corners in the church that would say, nothing, you're fine. Mm-mm. <laughs> uh-uh. Yeah. And they don't, yeah, and they don't say, you know, have three quiet times a day and start journaling, dressed modestly or whatever. No, man. Uh, no, no, go to CrossFit. It's just trust Jesus. So there's something, and that is just trust someone other than yourself. Um, and it's, it's a pretty incredible thing. I want to back up a little bit here and say it's interesting just to the... I'm fixated on this exorcism. The owners get mad. You would think if someone was set free from a demon, people might be excited, but the owners are upset. And if you look at this influence of spiritual forces of evil in the world, uh, they're almost always tied up with power and money in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you attack those spiritual forces of evil, people who like power and money, control and money, uh, tend not to like it. And so... I just want to kind of note that, and we don't have to talk that much about it, but just note that um, that that's kind of a, a reality which is still very present today. In our baptismal vows, we uh, talk about renouncing the spiritual forces of evil in the world that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God, and they're always about power and money. Um, that's right. But Jesus is about setting people free. So, uh, yeah, moving on, we got uh, these uh, this jailer and his whole family— gets saved. Again, a wonderful antidote to the sort of individualistic salvation that mm. we that we tend to have today. Um, they speak the word of the Lord to him, to everybody in his house, and this, they immediately get baptized. Um, and it's this, this beautiful mm. saying, thing where the jailer washes the wounds of Paul and Silas. It's, it's, you know, the one who was in power over them is now serving them like Christ, you know, washed his disciples' feet and served them. Um, and then they turn around and they kind of wash him and his family in the waters of baptism. Uh, and it's just it's just this beautiful thing. You thought that putting somebody in jail was going to, you know, end the thing. But actually, it was just another way for God to work. So whatever bad yeah. thing is happening to you, um, it's not the end of the story. Uh, God, God is always free to work wherever. And he works here even in jail. And he's working and he's working to set people free. Uh, I think that is the that is the big theme in this acts. One, he's working to set this woman free. Two, he works to set Paul and Silas free. Mm-hmm. Uh, and three, he works to set um, this prisoner and uh, this this prison guard and his entire family free with the word of the mighty word of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so that's a that's a big thing. And so then we come to the book of Revelation where we will see uh, that jailer as well and. Uh, and we see Christ in all of his glory. Yeah, and we're at the end of Revelation now. And um, this is, uh, I mean, if you want to talk about this, I think one of the things to talk about is Jesus, is the emphasis on Jesus coming soon. Um, and mm. now there is a line in here that would maybe confuse people from a law gospel perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm coming soon to repay according to everyone's work. Now, doesn't that sound like rewards and punishment? And doesn't that Uh, sound... If I have one more dude, point that out to me. I'm I'm like, really? So So. don't don't punch him in the neck. What would you say to them, Jake? 
Um, yeah, um, he is coming to repay everyone according to their work. Um, uh, and praise God, um, uh, my works are completely rubbish, and I am resting in the work of another, um, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is the first and the last, the one who is the beginning and the end. Right. Um, and this is so uh, because he has already been uh, he has already been repaid for all of my terrible works. Yep. So now I receive all of his righteousness. And this is why he goes on to say, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. I have been washed uh, in baptism. That's and right. um, and uh, and because of Jesus and his merit for me, I have right to that tree of life once again. That's right. Boom. You never want to interpret one part of Scripture so that it is repugnant to another part of Scripture. And here, if you take this thing, repay according to everyone's work, you have to. You can't take that out of context and just make it about rewards and punishments, Jesus. Because Jesus himself, when he's asked, what is the work that I must do? He says, believe in me. Just like in this Acts passage, what do I do to be saved? Believe in Jesus. Just trust mm. in him. And it's he yeah. it's he who saves us, not so anyways, yeah, that's that's absolutely. And for all of you, all of you who are uh, exhausted with your work and are living in terror of your work, then hear what Jesus says to uh, the rest of his church. That's right. You know, because he is the root and the descendant of David. He is the bright morning star to you who are exhausted with your own works. He says, the spirit of the bride says, come and let everyone here say, come and let everyone who is thirsty come, come. and let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. Come, 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 yeah. and wash your robe in the blood of the Lamb, uh, because the the one who says these things, surely I am coming soon, and uh, believe me, he is. Come, Lord Jesus. Um, and I love how it ends, the grace of the Lord Jesus. I mean, the very thing that, what does grace do? Grace absolves our sins. That's grace right. absolves our sins, and the grace of our Lord Jesus be with all the saints. And it is, amen. I mean, that's just a short passage. But, you know, if you're going to preach on that, I think a great way to preach on that is to play on that repay according to everyone's works. Well, let's look at this hermeneutically, and you get three points right out of that. Yep. Uh, and remember, the water of life is a gift. You can't buy it. You can't pay for mm, it. Uh, that's right. And the only requirement is you just got to need it. I mean, just be thirsty, yeah. uh, and it's for you. Mm, I'm so, thirsty. Mm, I'm drinking some water right now. It's delicious. All right. Brought to you by Avion. That's so, right. anyway. Uh, I'm just always reminded of that commercial in Zoolander. Hungry. What is it? Thirst. The essence of water is wetness. Yeah. And wetness <laughs> is life. Uh, hungry for life. Thirsty for Naya. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then um, we could go on. Anyways, I got the black lung prop. So John yeah. 17, we're back here in the high, what's called the high priestly prayer, the prayer, the long prayer that Jesus was praying at the Last Supper for his disciples before he was crucified, the night that he was betrayed. And so he's praying them here for them here. John 17, he prays for disciples. And actually, it's one of the few places in the scriptures where it tells us, explicitly Jesus is not only praying for them, but he's praying for Jacob Smith and mm. everybody listening to this podcast. I ask not only on behalf of these, Jesus says, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus has got a long-term view here as he's praying this prayer. And I always tell people uh, who are discouraged, actually, about their prayer life that Jesus isn't answering their prayers. I always remind them that based on this one, 
Jesus himself has a Garth Brooks unanswered prayer. Uh, Jesus wants us all to be one, and the church clearly isn't. And so we're still waiting for that to happen uh, on uh, some level. And so, on and some I'll, level. But on, on another, another level, level we, we, are, we one. are one. And we are one. We are um, one. Because in the, sorry. The spirit, yeah, that's next week. Okay. So, but, uh, you know, because the glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are in one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one. I mean, so the glory, so. The thing that ultimately unites us is the church. I love how Luther says, he says that um, a church is found where the word is rightly preached and the sacraments are duly administrated, uh, administered. You know, so where we are partaking and sharing in the glory of God, the, the crucified, uh, risen and descended, coming again Savior, where that word is preached and delivered to you in bread and wine, well, then you are with brothers and sisters, whether you are a Methodist, whether you are a Lutheran, whether you are an Episcopalian, whatever it is. I mean, ultimately, that is what makes us one. And I find that so powerful at a Mockingbird conference. You know, Amen. when we're ever in the, in the chapel of St. George's and you got all these like reformed traditions and Presbyterians on one side and then down the middle are these herd of like various Anglicans and mostly Episcopalians. And then you have a few kind of excited non-denom Baptist guys who are thinking about baptizing babies. And then there's a whole herd of like uh, Lutherans over there. And this Some one Swedish corner. Lutherans. Swedish Lutherans. I mean, I just was like, this is the body of Christ. And here we all are. Uh, uh, united uh, around the glory which God has given each and every one of us. Um, and so, um, I mean, you know, so you do, while it is an unanswered prayer, it is there, it not yet already it has come because of the, the promises of the gospel fulfilled in Jesus. And you really see here in the Garden of Gethsemane with this high priestly prayer, the work of the second Adam. You know, the first Adam in a garden screwed it all up. And here we see a second Adam in a garden praying so hard that he is bleeding sweat, yeah. or his sweat is blood. I mean, and here he is praying for the unity of the church, praying for the unity of his body, and it will be so. I think there's so much. Yeah, that's great, Jake. And there's so much here um, that the setting makes so powerful. He's in Gethsemane. He's about to be deserted, and yet... He's so clear over and over in this passage about how much he loves the people who are about mm. to let him down. And so many people live under this burden of sort of feeling God doesn't like them that much, or they kind of, they believe it as a doctrine that God loves them, but they don't feel it in their life. And it's just incredible. He says in this passage uh, to God, he says that you have loved them, those who believe in me and follow me, even as you have loved me. Listeners, say that to yourself a few times and allow yourself to dare to actually believe that that would be true. Dare your congregations to believe that would be true. That the same love... So let's think about this. The love that the Father has for the Son. Okay. Got that? That's the love that He has for you. He knows your name. He knows what you're going through. He knows who you are. And He loves you. And He says it again at the end of the passage. Jesus says, The love which, with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. And there's another great thing here, too. Another really important Christian doctrine, that Christ lives in us. This mutual indwelling. We live in Him, and He lives in us. That's so much uh, spirituality. People sort of see Jesus as somebody out there who must be placated, who must be pleased, 
who must be obeyed. And so here we are on our own trying to do it. I'm going to my accountability group. I'm asking somebody to hold me accountable. I've got an app that will keep me accountable. I've got friends that will keep me accountable. I'm just, I'm trying to do this thing so Jesus will be happy. It's like, wait a second. Don't you know? First, he loves you. Second, he's already in you. And he's not in you because you're so holy on your own and you've pleased him or obeyed him or whatever. He's in you because you've been washed in the blood. You've been covered in his righteousness. You've been set free. You've been forgiven. The spirit lives in you. So I just, I think I, I've just spent so much of my own life as a Christian feeling like God was far away and, you know, grading my my performance and um, and waiting for me to turn in a good report card. Uh, and I think I, I would have loved to have somebody point out this verse to me and say, look, Jesus loves you and is in you and you are in him. And that's a done deal because that's what he wants. That's what he Absolutely. says his desire is in this passage. What a great, what a great, what a great word. Can I just ask, was that a monster truck that drove past your window? Just a few minutes ago? And, uh, they're uh, all, they're all monster trucks in Texas, Jake. <laughs> uh, giant every single Thunderbird. One. So, uh, well, this is a great place to bring it to an end. So uh, happy preaching, everyone. And uh, Aaron, as always, uh, with everyone else, we'll see you next week. God hasta, bless you. Hasta la bye bye, Jake. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. And we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.